Hello. So, Casey, mm -hmm. we just had a very interesting conversation with some very important scientists. We did. We are not scientists. We are not scientists. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I took away from that. We are not scientists. We're not scientists, and which is one of the beautiful things about this podcast, because we get to have conversations with people in all different fields who do all kinds of things. Um, and today we're talking about uh, representation in STEM. Um, we're hearing from a couple of scientists who are working in, in the pharmaceutical industry um, and as research scientists and also folks who are working at the university to try to um, strengthen, you know, pathways and supports for students of color in who are pursuing STEM degrees um, and to, to get folks, you know, good jobs out there doing important work. Yes, we talked a lot about some of the barriers that students of color may face entering higher ed, entering the STEM field, talking about experiences in that field. How did people of color find themselves working in the mm -hmm. field in which they are um, and how popular that market is becoming and how students of color should pursue it. Yeah. And so the, the two scientists who, who we had with us, um, Lionel Maida. Um, is the first one. He's the he's a clinical supply operations manager at Pfizer, and Laguerre Radden, who's a research scientist at Boehringer Ingelheim, a molecular biologist. Um, and they both, you know, they'll both tell you more about you know what it is that they do. But they shared their journeys, um, and I loved hearing um, them share with you know a lot of uh, openness and vulnerability about what they experienced and the, you know, they, they both had a lot of obstacles yes. on their way and then they do such good work to give back. Really great to hear their stories. Um, and then we've got two, actually I should say two other scientists, uh, Ines Reardon uh, and Peter Demoulas, uh, both of them also longtime educators. And uh, they work at Southern Connecticut State University in uh, the Office of STEM Innovation and Leadership. Uh, Ines is the Academic and Career Success Coordinator. Peter works with the Grant Program Administration Office. And so they talk about sort of, you know, what, what campuses can do to support students um, on their journeys. Yes, we won't hold you up any longer. Give it a listen. KC. So we're back having another conversation about STEM once again on the podcast. We are. You know, we had that conversation with uh, my good friend, the cartoonist and biologist, uh, Jay Gardner, who works in cancer immunology. We talked to her. Was that season two? Season two. Yes. Season two. She talked about her her journey. And then since then, we've we've had a few other sort of tangential conversations about, you know, uh, what diversity looks like in STEM fields, why it matters. Um, but really, I don't think we've taken it on. It's sort of been a side topic, don't you think? It has been a side topic. You know, STEM is a hot field right now, a hot market that really needs more people of color in it. And so today we're going to talk about pathways into STEM. And, you know, our institution has a new program called Biopath. And it sounds like it's catching some headway. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah, we're, we're talking with four guests today, um, folks from campus and also folks who are out there working in the industry um, to talk about, you know, what it can look like to support students of color to go into STEM, why it matters, you know, for society uh, to have diverse folks working um, out there um, in science, tech, medicine, all of these areas so important. Um, so to our guests, welcome to the podcast. 
And I think Thank to you. start our conversation, we should start with describing what Biopath is. Hi, everybody. My name's Peter. Um, I'm a grant program administrator here at Southern. I've been here two years. I've been in education for a lot longer than that. Um, and I've been working with Biopath since the beginning. At the time when it was born, it was actually 2015. I, I was a teacher at Hill Regional Career High School in New Haven. Um, and there was also at the same time, a company called Alexion. You might have heard of moving downtown and you know buildings, bridges, a lot going on, huge land development deal. And aside from Alexion, there's more and more bioscience popping up then and still, the, and still now. And the developers in the city at the time, they're asking the question, you know, how can we make sure that these opportunities, that they're not just in New Haven, right? But they're actually for New Haven. So there, there's Biopath, the academic, uh, bioscience, academic and career pathway. And we, we exist to help build and sustain a talent pipeline to help the students, the residents of New Haven and on, help them get the skills, get the network, get the jobs in bioscience here in New Haven. So uh, am I hearing from what you're saying that that a model or something that happens in other areas is that a big company will come in and recruit from outside of the state or outside of the area, bring a whole bunch of new folks in, but actually doesn't necessarily serve the population that lives geographically there? I mean, yeah, that, that's one way to put it. Um, and it's unfortunate because we have so many schools and we can add up all the graduates in STEM in Connecticut and it still doesn't meet the demand in STEM, let alone does it help address the need to support students of color, to support persons of color who can also work and contribute, make meaningful contributions to these companies. Well, that sounds wonderful. Um, yeah, that sounds wonderful. So what are some... I wasn't sure if I should keep talking or if I should wait. Oh, you can Sorry. say as much as you like. Yeah, I, I'm curious about... So what are... Um, like at this point, you've, you've been going for some years now. Um, what are some success stories uh, that you've seen with, with students or in working with um, companies and setting up pathways for folks? Sure. Well... Um, you know, you know, we, we up, so firstly, we're, we're actually grant funded. So I, I got to say we, thank you to CT Next and the New Haven Innovation Collaborative, but hmm. it, it, it wouldn't be possible without them. Um, but, you know, we kind of approach it from uh, three tiers. You know, we help students develop the skills. So some non-credit programming, but we've also been involved in the development of new programs, biotechnology program, concentration in biochemistry, on and on, again, addressing the needs of industry. Um, we provide students with experiential learning opportunities, and then we have wraparound services to help them get the internships and entry-level employment. In the last two years, that has grown by over 700%. A couple of years ago, we were placing three to four interns or new hires. Last year was 28, and already this year, we're at 15. Um, We've had a number of success stories. Uh, one student uh, that comes to mind in particular, her name is Amber, She uh, Amber Fernley. So shout out to you, Amber. Um, so you're a graduate from the, she's a graduate from the Sound School in New Haven. Um, 
and you know she's a student at Southern. She's graduating uh, from, yeah, she's graduating from Southern, right? <laughs> she was also a speaker at our recent Bioscience Careers Forum. It's also a networking event. You know, she's had a research experience, and and we help helped her get an internship at Evolve Immune Therapeutics, um, which is one of the startups here in New Haven. Um, she's been doing some fabulous work, and I mean. She, she, she busts her tail. What can I say? And, and, you know, I'm just happy to say that we were able to give a little bit of help. Yeah, the sound school I'm very aware of is a lovely school we have locally. I went to aquaculture, so something very similar in high school. Now, that could be a great way of introducing a student to the world of STEM. But for students that may not have that um, STEM-Pacific you know, focus in high school, and they're already at a university, maybe undecided. Um, what does that pipeline look like to recruit students for STEM, to get them interested in biology and in the in these different majors that institutions offer? What does that look like? Well, that, that's a great question. And, you know, this actually transcends the work that my office does, that the Biopath program does, that um, how do we, you know, encourage students uh, and not only encourage them, but also support them. Um, you know, if, if we look, you know, broadly at the performance of students in STEM, who does well, who stays, students of color don't do as well and don't stay in as higher percentages. And so we got to be really mindful that we're not just recruiting them and setting them up for failure and that we really got to be mindful of we have to simultaneously provide those supports. So, you know, shout out to the UAP program here at Southern and all the departments and academic advisors. You know, we are working tremendously hard in concert with each other to provide those additional supports. Um, one of the challenges is that many of these, many of the students they'll spend all of their electives in some cases trying to knock out their English and math requirements and they never get to those upper year electives, the 300 and 400 level classes that they really need to get the skills that are marketable. So what we're providing is some free boot camps to help students get those skills to kind of, it helps get around that issue. It doesn't solve it in a huge way, but, it, but it's making inroads. And we're also pursuing more grant funds to expand it. Um, so that's that's some of the work that we're doing. So Lionel and Laguerre, you both are graduates out there working in the field um, of STEM. And I'm curious, I'd love to hear from both of you, um, what your experiences were like as a student. Were you always sort of, um, and either one of you can, can start, but were you always sort of into math and science um, or... Is that something, like at what point did you discover, you know, the path that led you to where you all are today? So um, I guess I'll go first. Um, my name is Laguerre Radden. Uh, so really for me, um, honestly, for the longest time, I actually want to be a cartoonist. I'm a huge comic book anime nerd. It's never too um, late. And, no. Never. Um, and I didn't get into science until I was in my, somewhere between my junior and senior year of high school. Um, had an amazing physics class, had an amazing chemistry class, fell in love with it. Um, I have one member of my family who was a scientist. Um, he was a immunologist over at Howard University. 
and he stuttered, studied oncology. Um, and he was kind of the person that spurred me to believe that I could be a scientist. Um, fast forward to um, freshman year of college, I was at Central Connecticut State University. And at the end of my first year, uh, sorry, end of my first week of my first year, I signed up and joined a lab as a work study student working in a mammalian genetics lab working for um, who is still my mentor to this day, a man by the name of Thomas King. Uh, and I knew right then and there um, I wanted to go to graduate school, do a PhD, everything like that. I spent my four years uh, working for him. He actually ended up hiring me to work in his lab. So I did that. That was my actual, one of my extra curriculars for four years of college. I was able to get two publications out of my work there. Uh, by the time I graduated, I was able to, to graduate with departmental honors and so on. Uh, started a PhD program at Wesleyan University. Unfortunately, a uh, lab closed down. It didn't pan out. Ended up going back to Central to finish up my master's. And at the same time was working and then got a second master's from Penn State um, a graduate certificate in computational biology and bioinformatics. Started working at uh, Bowringer Ingelheim as a contract employee, working in respiratory diseases, then went to Regeneron and worked in their subcloning division, humanizing mouse genes in order to get human antibodies for tools to fix various diseases. <laughs> and then came back to Bowringer, working in cancer immunology and immune modulation, really figuring out ways to restore immune tolerance, working both in autoimmune diseases and oncology, and jumped from there into biomarker discovery work in immunology and respiratory diseases again. And oddly enough, never considered going back to finish my PhD, but in January, I will be going back to wrap up my executive PhD in uh, molecular biology and biochem. So I've kind of wow. veered all over the places from being, you know, super into art and things like that, and then ending up finding my way into science and kind of just jumping headfirst into it. Very impressive. <laughs> We're sitting here being impressed, yes. Yes, and congratulations on mm -hmm. that. Yeah. No, well, thank you. I Tell everybody I'm, I'm really just a, a comic book nerd that's waiting to get bit by a spider or some way to get my powers. <laughs> I'm going to write to you later with more stuff about science and, and comic book stuff because I'm a cartoonist, too, um, ah. and have a bunch of friends who are both scientists and cartoonists. So anyway, I'm going to share some stuff with you um, after the I, podcast. I love that. Um, but so I heard that there are two key people, one, your family member, um, who is the who was the immunologist, um, and then also that mentor as two key figures um, who supported you in your educational path, or even just imagining. Because I think you know, um, one thing we see is is if you don't see somebody who um, looks like you who's in these fields, and and it can really, I, I mean, it makes a, such a difference to have one person who you know or one person you have a relationship with. Then it cannot seem possible for you to occupy those spaces. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, as I, I do a lot of volunteering, working with other um, young scientists, trying to mentor them, grading science fairs and other things like that, I think it's really important. Um, so for me, my family, it was never one of the things we're like, oh, yeah, you could be a scientist. It just we, I didn't see that. Um, my mentor isn't of color. My uncle happened to be and he was kind of the anomaly in the family that happened to go through. 
um, in my, I started working in science in 2009 and, you know, it's 2022 now. And in that whole span of time, I've worked professionally with four other scientists of color. Wow. Um, the, the STEM field, when you look at the breakup of scientists of color, both male and female, it only falls between three and 6%, which isn't a lot. So I think one of the, the big drives um, for me career-wise is to really be one of those people that could be an example. I've gotten more times that I can count. You don't look like a scientist. Mm. Um, and a scientist doesn't have a particular look. It could be any particular person that has a drive to be curious. Um, so I often try to relay that message to anyone that is even interested in anything about being curious from, you know, little things of chemistry of how putting a Mentos into a Coke works all the way up to wondering about the stars and the planets. It's all relative. And I think it, we, we need to nurture that in children right across the board. Absolutely. Yeah. But wow, those statistics are surprising. They are. They're not, but they are. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Lionel, what was your educational journey like? What kind of path did yeah, you take? So, yeah, so mine was a bit different. Um, I've always been into science. Um, been doing science fairs when I was in elementary school, living in Hartford um, since first grade. Uh, I'm, I'm West African. I was born in a country called Burkina Faso, a, a French-speaking country. Um, and so, you know, immigrant uh, African parents are always pushing kind of sciences and 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 professional um, jobs on you, doctor, lawyers, whatever. So <laughs> I was kind of always influenced by my parents to to be a doctor um, since I was a child. So I had always wanted to go to med school ever since I was a child. You know, elementary school, I was wearing Dr. Meta on everything. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it was, and I, I have doctors in my family um, in Africa. So it was never in my mind that I, I never thought I couldn't be a, a, a doctor, you know. Um, and it really wasn't until I got to middle school and high school. I went to Farmington High School. I went to a good high school at the time, public school at the time. Um, when we started busing in more kids from Hartford, uh, more black kids from Hartford, you know, those became my best friends in middle school. And they would ask me, you know, like, I can't believe you got all these science kits. Like, I can never do this. I can never do chemistry and whatnot. And that's when it really clicked, like, wow, um, there really isn't a representation of black people in these in these fields. Um, so that was in middle school and then high school. Uh, I graduated from, from Farmington High School. Uh, went to University of Connecticut uh, initially as a pre-med, um, on the pre-med track as a physiology and neurobiology major, um, because like I said, I wanted to be a doctor. And it wasn't until I started uh, shadowing a doctor that was a friend of the family that I realized that I was just doing it for the prestige. Um, I had I, I, always liked science, um, but I think I was disillusioned um, and, and, and really just wanted... <laughs> The, the, the title of doctor and the money and whatnot that came behind it, even though honestly, a lot of doctors are actually underpaid if you, if you break it down to an hourly level, but that's a, that's a different situation, you know? Um, and so after my sophomore year, I actually uh, changed my major to just a basic biological sciences major. Um, I knew I still wanted to be in the STEM fields and, and that was, it was around my junior year 
uh, after I had done, I actually had done um, undergraduate research uh, experience. I had undergrad research exper experience uh, through our, our agricultural biotech lab, um, which was different than what I wanted to do. But through some networking, I realized that um, working in the pharmaceutical industry was something that I could pursue. Um, so I started looking into that and through my father's network, actually, he connected me with another family friend who was uh, doing a fellowship at Pfizer uh, at the time. So once I graduated from, from UConn with my, my bachelor's in, in biology, I actually connected with him and he brought me on site to Pfizer at Groton where I connected with, with more professionals there. And um, it wasn't until, I think it was nine months after I'd graduated. Um, actually, so during that nine months after I graduated, I found a job at UConn Health Center working as a data research assistant um, in the uh, center of aging over there. And uh, I was also working at night as a supervisor, part-time supervisor at UPS, but it wasn't until after those nine months that I was able to find a job online at Pfizer to apply for. Um, and when I found that job, I reached out to one of the connections that I had there uh, who actually knew the hiring manager and was able to vouch for me. And uh, that's how I pretty much got my foot in the door at Pfizer, um, working as a bench scientist in the drug product development lab there, um, doing a lot of material characterization on different powders, um, uh, developing different formula formulations uh, that we would use uh, later on in, in clinical trials and whatnot. So that's how I got my foot in the door. Um, I did two years as a contractor there, and then I was referred to a full-time, well, I was always full-time, but I was a contractor at the time. So after two years, uh, I was referred uh, by another scientist, another senior scientist to, uh, to transition into a colleague role at Pfizer uh, in, over in drug safety research and development. And over there, I did formulation work uh, for preclinical toxicology studies. Um, so I did that for about four years until I was referred for another position uh, to manage uh, packaging and labeling uh, activities for our, our our clinical supply chain. Um, so so for that time, I was I was pretty much just uh, ensuring that the pack and label of all of our investigational drug product was done properly um, and in a timely fashion, um, you know, according to all regulatory uh, standards. And then we would uh, ship those off to our clinical sites across the world. And recently I just transitioned into another role as a team lead, um, leading our systems group within clinical supply operations. Uh, and that's where, you know, we're looking for more innovative solutions for the business um, to, to, to kind of reduce our cycle time around packing and labeling these 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 uh, drug products so that we can get them out quicker. You know, ever since the the, the pandemic hit, um, and we, we 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 ended up coming up with this with these light speed programs where we would we we quickly turn around um, these these uh, these the drug products and and distribute them to the clinical trial for the clinical trial. So we're trying to always trying to work faster and, and think ahead. And uh, so that's what my team is currently doing, trying to find more innovative uh, solutions in, within our systems. Hmm. You know, it's interesting that like hearing both of you um, ha having like within the field that you're in, you've you've done like many different kinds of 
work, it seems to me, in like a pretty short amount of time. And I really appreciate your uh, sharing about how you, you know, you thought you wanted to be a doctor and then you shadowed one for a while and you were like, mm, I don't know, because I think a lot of times people get on a path, you know, and whether that's pressure from family or from a school or from themselves, and then it can be difficult to deal with when, you know, disappointment either that you have or other people have when you realize um, that truly, and it's a good point to realize that once you, like, if you already are a doctor, that's a different problem. Um, but to to share the, the fact that we might have an idea, we might get on a path, and there are ways that we can, you know, take the education we've gotten and actually find our right place um, that makes us happy and, and it's like the fullest, you know, contribution that we can make as opposed to just doing the thing that we were sort of set towards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's definitely a big sense of disappointment from my parents at the time. You know, um, I think dad told everyone in our family and all their friends that I was going to be a doctor. You know oh, what I mean? Boy. Yeah, you take it back. Just imagine. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's a bit of a sense of shame on, on my end. Um, but I never felt like I wasn't going to succeed in anything. You know what I mean? Um, so I knew I'd be fine. You know, I, at the end of the day, like, yeah, of course, my parents and I were, were fine. <laughs> you know, that, 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 they, that, that went over. It, it's fine. It's fine now. You know, I, I quickly found a job at Pfizer. You know, I, I stayed on the right path. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm, I'm still doing relatively well. So, um, but, but yeah, at the time, there was a sense of disappointment. But, you know, you, sometimes you got to pivot in life, right? <laughs> I, I think you said it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I had this, the same thing when, you know, I was three years into a PhD program, mm. lab closes, and I'm like dis disappointed as well. And for me, you know, I I was never good at chemistry. I was never good at math. I had a tutor throughout high school. I had a tutor throughout college. I, I had a learning disability growing up. So I had what speech pathology. I was in a remedial reading program until I was in high school and things mm. like that. So for me, that setback of like, man, another one. Right. But like you said, learn, learning how to pivot and, you know, everything happening for a reason and now things being coming full circle, having a way to get your foot in the door. And I think it's awesome that you have like so many doctor role models and things like that. Um, and that's just really, really cool. I think like for, for me, I didn't get into reading and science and all that kind of stuff until I got into comic books. But hmm. I feel like if I had a whole family of doctors, I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm going to be Dr. Doom. That's fine. All the villains are doctors. I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm definitely grateful for my family. Uh, and even in college, I, I heard while I was a bio major, I heard, you know, from a lot of my black friends, oh, I, I could never be a, a bio major. You know, yeah. I'm going to stick to communications or business. And, and that was disappointing, which is why now, um, you know, similar to Laguerre, I'm, I'm mentoring students. Um, I'm, I, I focus on talent acquisition, uh, working with Peter and the biopath group um, because uh, it, it's pretty near and dear to my heart, you know. Yeah, I, I think we're touching on a lot of barriers that students of color may have entering the field, you know, and that's just not just the field of STEM, but the entering higher education in general, right? Like you have students that may be lower income, that may also be first gen, that may have all these other barriers along with race that may impact how they are navigating the college experience and what field they see themselves in, the mentors in which they have, how faculty interact with them, how their peers interact with them, 
Um, so I, I think we're touching on a lot of different things here. Um, can I can I say you know um, you are absolutely right, and as Laguerre and Lionel have been talking, um, I've been taking notes. By the way, this is it's the professor in me. But anyways, um, I taught for many years first year biology students, and uh, and I do see these obstacles that you're talking about, right? They come in, um, they come in thinking that they have the study skills to be able to become a doctor because that's everybody wants to come in to be a, because they want to be a doctor but when they start encountering their first tests and their first you know few weeks of school and the pace of these classes it's much quicker than it was in high school that's where you start seeing a lot of students giving up and so as, as a professor and an advisor, when you have these students come to you and they are so frustrated and they're already, I hate reading, I hate science, I don't like this, this, and it, it's almost like you have to just like, you know, just stop, take a break. You know, first of all, that it's science is, is a lot of different things, right? And you can go into a lot of different things and it's just not, you know, okay, I'm gonna major in biology because I wanna be a doctor. There's so many other things you can do with biology and just don't give up as long as you're curious. And so these classes, you know, we try to teach them curiosity because just like I believe it was Laguerre was talking about, it's like, that's what you got to do when the kids are in school, right? When they're still young and in, in high school and middle school, just try to, to plug into that curiosity of the natural world so that when they get to college, they can actually, they can actually just latch on to that curiosity when they start encountering these obstacles, right? And then it is our role, whether it's faculty or administration staff, whatever, for example, at Southern, you know, that we, we can tell them about all the different careers, excuse me, all the different careers that you can do in STEM. Like, okay, maybe, maybe you know, maybe being a doctor is not what's going to happen to you, but you could end up working, doing some, you know, research with drugs, you know, some type of drug discovery or something like that. So, so it's trying to get that across to our students that not to give up right away, not to say you're not good at science. It's more like pivot and take, you know, take a deep breath. And um, personally, I came from, I'm from Puerto Rico originally. I came here to go to college and I was one of those students, you know, I was here saying, hey, you know, I did great in high school. I'm going to do great in college. And my first biology class, I did terrible. Now, don't tell anybody this because, you know, you <laughs> we, won't, we won't tell anyone. <laughs> OK, oops, maybe this is not the place to tell you that story. But but anyway, that was a, that's a story that I always tell my students in the first week of class. It's like I was one of one of those students that I thought I wasn't smart enough, you know, to to be a scientist. Hmm. And then, you know, you just yeah, tweak, tweak around what you do, how you study and all that. And then, you know, you can find yourself and find your rhythm and whatever. So, but 
I guess I, I'm going on a tangent here, but everything that Lionel and Laguerre have been talking about, I have seen that as an advisor and as a, as a professor of many years. I have seen that. And, and that is, is great to hear role models saying, hey, I, was, I went through something like this and I was able to pivot. I was able to find my footing and what I'm meant to be, right? I think that comes a lot to, to I think that comes from a lot of the mentors. Um, and I, I went to Central, you guys are at Southern. And I, I mean, I remember my, some of my first exams, um, I didn't do so hot. And I remember my, my mentor and advisor at the time, I had two, um, Dr. Mulrooney and Dr. King, and they sat me down and I had been working in the lab for a few months at this point and they're like, you're great lab work but this level of work you're doing is not college level work. And that was one of the best pieces of feedback and advice that I got. And at that point I took a moment and said, hey, I need to reach out and get some extra assistance when I got a chem tutor, math tutor, so on. And Dr. Martin, I could go on and on about the biomolecular science program at Central and colleagues that I now work with that have gone to Southern, um, Western and so on. And really the mentor that you have and the ability that you guys have to start that spark under someone and to cultivate it is really what gives people like me and Lionel the ability to pivot because we've we've been given opportunities where we've had to pivot and we've had people that were there that supported us while we were pivoting. I remember I had an exam that I didn't do hot on and I was like, I'm totally gonna drop this as a major, there's no way I could do this. Yeah. And I remember my mentor sat me down and he's like, you didn't fail this. You failed at learning how to succeed at this. And that's science, trial and error. What didn't work this time, try something different and see what works the next time. And, you know, I ended up graduating with a 4.0 and that was great. But if I didn't have those honest conversations, a good mentor isn't always going to tell you that you're doing everything right and hitting a home run every single time. They're going to sit you down and say, hey, I need you to fix this so you can hit a home run. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people like you and Peter are setting up these programs and allowing people like me and Lionel to come so that we could help position other people to not make the same mistakes that we've made so that they don't have to pivot as much. And, well, and, and the whole point is then learning and understanding that you are here to learn yeah. how to learn. It's not, you're not gonna become an expert in anything. It's really learning how to learn and how you have to accept that, embrace that, and throughout the rest of your life, because you're always learning new things, right? So so that piece of an experiential, uh, just like uh, Lionel had, you know, that you, you shadowed a doctor and all of a sudden realized that's not what you wanted. And then the guilt that comes associated with that, having to, 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 you know, face your friends or family or whatever, it's like, don't feel guilty about this is what you're here for, right? You're here, you're trying to learn what's out there and it's okay to fail the first time and you might not like it. So this is when you can experiment different, you know, uh, uh, how do you say it? Different, looking for the word, just, just different fields, different uh, interests. And I think, Lionel, your story about, um, you know, when you decided why you were going to do the doctorate, uh, you know, to for the status and things like that, um, I'll carry that with me forever because I remember um, I wasn't disappointed about calling my mom or my dad when I when grad school didn't work out the first time through. 
it was the call to my mentor mm -hmm. that I was most disappointed about. And I remember calling him and honestly, I was in tears and he's like, Laguerre, everything that you've done up to this point, I couldn't be more proud of you. Everything else is icing on the cake. And for me to know that, like, even though I didn't hit the goal that I had met, my mentor still had my back. I think those kind of things, kind of like, you know, like you were worried about your parents' disappointment, but they still were there for you and guided you back towards wherever you needed to be. I think those kind of things are the, the things that future students and future scientists need to know. Well, Laguerre, I want to ask you, um, getting a piece of feedback from a, a professor mentor that is something like, like you said, not doing college level work or to say to, I mean, feedback like that, a lot of students hear that and they, they don't like, how were you able to embrace that and see and be like, all right, I'm going to do what it takes to, um, to get to where I need to be. I'm going to go to, I'm going to get a tutor. I'm going to you know, do what I need to do. Cause a lot of students hear s feedback and they just shut down. Um, so I'm curious, like, was it the trust that you had with, with those professors? What was it? Yeah, no. So it's, it, it was a small program and you knew that everybody there on the staff and faculty were, they were gunning for you to succeed. They were giving you the tools that you need. I remember doing platform presentations and poster presentations and things like that, but it was really the delivery of, it wasn't a, a scolding or anything like that. It was like, hey, I want nothing more than for to, to see you shine and see you do your best work. And I know it's there, this isn't it. And you have to push past the level of what you're doing right now because it's not good enough for where you need to be. Um, so for me, I'm that kind of person. If you tell me I can't do it, I'm gonna prove you wrong. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of my own stubbornness, but also um, Dr. King, has two daughters and he always told me and another lab colleague that we were the sons he never had. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like a, it was like my, my lab dad being like, hey man, like, come on, let's get this together. Let's do this together. Um, and that was the thing, I never felt like I was in it alone. Mm -hmm. And I think it has to do with having that network that you have. And I think Lionel could could agree, he had that in his family network. And I think once I, once I got far enough along my family was like, oh, yeah, Garrett's totally going to do this. But there's some hesitancy at first. <laughs> mm, I can relate to that. Um, my first semester, you know, I was not college ready in terms of my reading, my writing, my math skills. And I had a faculty member pull me to the side and tell me that my writing and my work wasn't up to a college level even for um, like a, re, uh, a remioker class, mm -hmm. wasn't even up to that kind of level. And I took that really well, actually. I took it really well, mainly because my faculty member wasn't just my faculty member. I think that's really important for faculty member to think of. When you're going to a student, especially a student of color, I'm a first-gen student, I'm from an urban city. You know, I'm first-gen to graduate high school, nevertheless go to college. So when you come to a student like this that has all these barriers that I had to hop to even step my foot in this door, um, to have a relationship with said student, my faculty member, before they even came to me with that information, was already invested in my interest, who I was as a student, and who I was outside of the classroom before they had this conversation with me. So I knew this conversation was coming from a place of love and a place of mentorship. And I think it's important for students to realize that I spent 20 hours getting tutoring. I, every week, 
20 hours a week, I was in the student. I was in the academic success center getting tutoring for math, for English, for comm, whatever subjects I was taking, I put in the work. There is a gap when you join, when you go to college. I don't care if you're a STEM major, you're a comm major, you're an art major. There's a gap mm-hmm. so often that, t- that you need to fill. You don't know how to study correctly. You are missing these math skills from high school. You're missing these reading skills. Students always have a gap. It's normal to have this gap. And you have to work to fill that gap in. Um, and I think that's something that we're all talking about is how do we overcome that gap? And I'm thinking about being a student of color at a predominantly white institution specifically. There's so many times in which black students are the only student that looks like them, sometimes from the same places like them, in a room, in a classroom, in a meeting, at a club, that feels isolating. It feels like it's just you here. And that's the importance of mentorship, you know, having faculty that care about you, that makes you feel like you belong somewhere, having faculty of color. That's why it's important for institutions to hire a faculty of color so that there's black students, they're Latino students, right? We need to hire Latino faculty. So when we look at our faculty, we go, hey, this person looks like me. I'm not the only person that looks like me getting a degree. This person is successful in X, Y, and Z field, and I can talk to them about their real lived experiences in said field. And so when I think about a program like Biopath, recruiting you know, students of color to put in the STEM field, which is a really hot market, it seems like there's so, many, um, so much diversity in what a student can accomplish in STEM. I think first about mentorship. So I think it's beautiful what you two are doing in terms of mm-hmm. talking with younger students about with your experiences and being real in that. Yeah, absolutely. That, that That's so key. And honestly, and, and then there's, you know, you have the people like Laguerre, you know, who, like you had said, you had struggled up until high school, then graduating with a 4.0 and whatnot, um, and, and never being into, into sciences until high school. And then I also want to, you know, talk about the people like me who are, yes, I, I, I was in STEM, STEM my, my, my whole life and whatnot, but honestly, I didn't do so hot in college. Um, and it was more so because of, I was more, when I went into college, I was more concerned with the social aspect of it, right? Um, and so I, I graduated college with like a, with barely a 3.0. You know, Listen, that'll do it. That'll do it. Listen, that'll do it. <laughs> Don't be ashamed of that. That'll do it right there. That's all right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I never, I never doubted myself, but I also created a lot of obstacles um, in college myself. You know, um, my senior year, I had a daughter. My senior year, um, she lived up with us at, up at UConn, um, and and thankfully for my parents and 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 her mother's parents um, helping us out, we, we were able to graduate on time and whatnot. But it was that year, you know, like you said, there's always a gap, and my gap was not learning how to study properly. You know, I can memorize everything, which is why I was a bio major, but. Things like organic chemistry, not putting in the work, doing actual practice exams, you know, thinking I could just memorize and go into an exam and, and ace it. That was my gap, right? So those first couple years were, were, were difficult. And then, um, you know, once I finally figured it out uh, during my, my toughest year of college, the last year when I had my daughter and I was working like 25 hours a week, you know, to make money and still trying to graduate, uh, I, I think I had a 3.9 both semest- full semesters, right? And it was really just figuring out how to fill that gap, how to study properly, seeking guidance, constantly going to office hours. You know, I wasn't doing that my first two two years at all, you know. Um, so I definitely want to shout out those kids that, you know, who feel like all right, they're, they're, they're kind of floundering in college, 
you know, they got two seven five, they got two five. But but as long as you're resilient, you can make it. You know what I mean? Um, that that's that that's really what a, what it's about, and that's what I always tell those kids. Like, you don't have to have a 4.0. Of course, do the best you can. But if 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 you graduate with with lesser than grades, you can still make it in this world. You know. And I I think that gap that you had was the same gap that I had. I knew how to. I, I was a TA for a while in graduate school, and what I would tell the students when I was teaching in class. I don't, I'm not going to teach you regurgitation learning. I don't want you to spit facts back to me. I think the best thing that I learned in college, in graduate school, is how to think critically. I want to see you take these concepts and apply them to something else. And for me, I, I was very shy and reserved my first uh, semester, first year at school. And my, my dad did not go to college. Um, my dad's father passed away when he was 13, so my dad's been working for a long, long time. So growing up, I had no option but to go into the military because I come from a military family or to go to college. That was it. So when I made it into college, it was I have to make something of myself on the other end. So I threw myself into a lab right out the gate. I was a, I was a college athlete. I did track and I did swimming. I was an RA. I did student government. Oh, wow. I knew that I had... I, I knew that I had to do as many things as possible yeah. to get myself from behind the eight ball so that when I was putting an application, it wasn't just, oh, here's here's a person of color compared to someone that's not. Here is an amazing student. Here's someone that does extracurriculars. Here's someone that has the grades to outperform somebody else that has connections and knows people because I knew nobody and had no connections to anything. Um, I so agree with that. That, yeah. that was the mindset that I, that I went in with. Well, and, and I think, right, that's, being black in this country, being a person of color, you yeah. know, it's that mentality of, you know, you got to work twice as hard to be half as good, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Even though I had I had mentors my whole life or whatever, you know, I knew I was a, I was a black man in this country. My, my parents, they, 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 they made that clear that I always had to be twice as good, right? You have to prove yourself every room that you walk into. That's and I it. think this right here for, for me you outside of one other male of color that I've worked with, you're the only other male scientist of color that I have a relationship or rapport with that I can have these kind of conversations with. Wow. And that's, and that's after working since 2009. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I feel for you, man, because uh, I, at Pfizer, when I first started in 2012, um, there was like, there was like five years where I was the only scientist under the age of 30. You know, like, I think it was, it wasn't until I was in my late twenties, I'm what, 34 now, until I was in my late twenties that I saw another young scientist there. Yes, there were, there were some older male, male scientists, um, a handful. Um, there's a lot more black women um, there, you know, I mean, I think the data shows that black, yes, black women yeah. historically do well, um, better than black men in, in STEM and, and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, but yeah, there's just not enough. So I definitely hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Even I mean, the ones I'm, that I know, it's a handful. It's a small handful. I'm 30, and I've had the privilege to work with six total other scientists of color, and besides the only one of them was a male. Um, and so, you know, for, for me, I, I think Biopass being able to also connect professionals to each other, yes. that's another special mm -hmm. thing that it does as well. I mean, we're, we're all about forming a community, right? A, a network. So... Um, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to change that landscape. And um, same with Latinos, you know, we got, we got to get, got to get them in there also. And, um, and for, for whatever, whoever students are listening to us, I mean, 
think of college as this big buffet, right? You got to go and serve yourself. You know, you got to, you got, you got to get the help that you need when you need it. We, there are resources to help when you're running into those obstacles in your courses, you know, use the resources that we have. When I went to school many, many, many years ago, it was a sink or swim. We didn't have the resources um, that, that all of you have now. Starting with faculty and, and all these programs, amazing programs that we have here to help our students. So um, that's what we're here for. Yeah, and, and to speak to that, um, that that that's where Pfizer is. I will say Pfizer is very good at that. We do have colleague resource groups. Um, so I'm talent acquisition pillar lead for our global black community. Um, and we meet frequently, uh, we hold events, we kind of, we, we, the GBC at Pfizer is constantly leading the discussion um, on on minorities and people of, of color in 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 the the, the STEM uh, industries. Um, so that's where I will say that I don't know if they have that at C C colleague resource groups at BI, um, but Pfizer is very big on that and and promoting that and ensuring that people are aware that we have these groups to support uh, people of color or people with disabilities or. Um, the the, uh, the the LBGD uh, the, um, the the gay community or the, the the veterans you know we have these groups and uh, and and I try to attend meetings with all of them because um, we don't want to feel anyone to feel marginalized you know at Pfizer and make and ensuring that you know that we do have those resources to support these people you know what I mean uh, which so I, I definitely um, commend Pfizer for that. Likewise, it's it's because of our, our DICE group, diversity, inclusion, equity, and so on, that I was even able to, to meet Biopath and mm. get involved in this. Um, I remember, what, almost a year ago, sometime in the fall, um, end of summer, fall, getting together a working group just to talk about what it is to be in this almost kind of like a little silo. And then it grew into this huge thing that we never expected it to. And it's been been an amazing journey and experience um, to, to connect with all of these people throughout the field, throughout the industry, between academia and professionals that you, you kind of forget exists because you don't see it every day. Yeah, we done touched on a lot. I think about, you know, having balance, right? You don't need a 4.0 necessarily to do well in this field. I know I don't have a 4.0. Um, I'm also and not frankly, in STEM, but. You know, like once once you graduate, people don't care so much about, like, no. in fact, they don't care at all. They're no. like, do you have a degree? I don't okay, recall great. my GPA. Yeah, do you have a reference? Um, okay, good. Yes, you need balance, right? Like making connections, having, being an RA, being an SGA, good study skills, good networking. You need a combination of things you know, after graduation, not necessarily just academics. Um, I so agree about the loneliness, mm. you know, the loneliness you can feel in your own field, because so many of our fields are predominantly white that we're working in, in your office place. I think that's a real thing for people of color professionals to talk about, especially with people that are coming up into the field. Um, I almost think about, like, it's almost like passing the baton you know, it's like you break a glass ceiling and you kind of bring up people with you and things get more diverse as we start working together. Um, but it sounds like there is a lot of headway Biopath is making in the field industry. And hopefully other institutions are looking at what they can do to make their fields and their programs more diverse. 
And it really, like, I, I get the picture of like sort of an ecosystem talking to y'all like, um, Lionel, when you're talking about the kids that you, uh, you know, your friends in middle school who are like, I couldn't do that. Um, and the, you know, that's the common thing that, that folks are thinking and, and that, you know, there are intervention points like the mentor work that you all do very early on. And that has to be a part of it because you can't have folks who are arriving at college and then have to get over the fact that get over a lot to be like, well, I never thought I could do this and now I'm going to do it. That takes like a whole lot of work um, mentally, emotionally, et cetera, to get there. Um, and then there's the piece about connecting folks who are already working in the industry. So it really is sort of a, a whole systemic yeah. thing. And, you know, there's the piece about, um, you know, supporting individuals, creating community, but also how important it is to have a diverse set of scientists um, in the biomedical sciences, in technology, that who is working in these fields matters for our society. 1,000%, yeah. I, I, just real quick, uh, I want to go back to Jamil's point about, you know, being balanced and not having the perfect grades and whatnot. One thing I do want to say to students listening to this that do want to work in, in, in the sciences, whether academia or, um, or professionally um, in the industries, uh, one thing that you definitely must have and seek out in undergrad or graduate school is that that research experience. You know, don't overlook that. I think that is so, so key. You know, you don't have to have the perfect grades or whatnot, but you, you should be able to show that, you know, you've worked in a lab or whatnot or on some type in some type of research based field. Um, I think that that's very important. Um, I just didn't want that to, to, to leave that out before we, we leave. Um, I, I think it's so important. And I, I, I agree. I don't know. Um, when I was in college, the first thing I did was I my sophomore year, I approached my professor who was working with turtles. I was interested in marine bio. And I went I went to him and I said, hey, do you need any help in the lab? He didn't have to pay me or anything, but it was, you know, it was just that. And I did. And I ended up, you know, doing something really cool for him. Like we had to go. We went in an expedition and stuff like that. So it's like, take take that step, you know, identify with that with that faculty member that may be doing something that you think is really cool and go and say, hey, do you need any help in the lab? You know, because mm -hmm. um, it just it, it opens it starts opening doors for you. And mm -hmm. that's one person that can mentor you. And, um, you know, and, and you, that's the beginning of your network. Absolutely. And as, as you yeah. guys say, you know, when you get out there to, to look for a job or whatever, they're, gonna, they're going to look at you holistically, not just your GPA, right? And I think so, that's, yeah. that's spot on. And, and, you know, it's been drilled into me since I was a kid. Experience will be anything. Um, you could have straight A's, but have never held a pipette in your hands before. And someone that might have B's and maybe a couple C's, but their pipetting game is strong. That, that experience is worth more than anything that your grades can do for you. Um, and I think I commend any program that gives students a hand, hands-on opportunity to do independent research and actually learn those skills. Yes. Pipetting game is a new one for me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking at students holistically. That's a, that's a good place to leave it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, so thank you all. Well, thank you for, uh, for joining us today. Um, really important conversation. Great work that y'all are doing. Um, and hopefully uh, we'll continue this, this conversation and see you on campus soon. Thank you.
Yes. Great. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this was a pleasure. Appreciate it.